I'm excited about the message this morning because one of the things about the message this morning, this is probably, and it, it may be a little bit out of order in my life. It shouldn't be in your life, but in my life, this might be a little bit out of order because this is my second love. Next to Jesus, this would be my second love that we're going to talk about today. Now, it's true. Allison's a part of my second love. My children are a part of my second love. Everyone's a part of the church. I'm talking about the church today. I'm talking about the very bride of Christ, the importance of it. And you're going to see how God begins to bring all this together right here in the book of Revelation. He He's talking to us about his church, what his church is going to represent, what it looks like, what it should be representing today. And so we're going to jump in there here in just a moment. Now, just to give you a a brief synopsis this morning. I guess before we get started, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this, your time, your plan, your purpose in our lives. Father, we pray that this time wouldn't be wasted by any means. Father, that it will be used for your glory and that all of us will leave here transformed more into your image. In your name, amen. So just to give you a little review, if you haven't been with us over the last 15 weeks, this is sermon number 15 or message number 15 in a row that I'm speaking about dispensation versus dominion. And I've got plenty of references and resources that you can purchase on this. They're on your tables. They're on your uh, list. You can take a picture of your questions and, and all of this is listed there. Uh, it's all biblical. Like I said, I can teach dispensationalism pretty much backwards. I've taught it for years, but the Lord really brought me, um, starting really 20 years ago, he started working on me with a, a, in, in a direction of seeing some historical perspectives. Now, I wouldn't consider myself a full-blown preterist today, but a partial preterist uh, for sure. And so I've been teaching this so that, that you understand that there are other thoughts, that there are other theology, not necessarily theologies, but other, other thoughts on end of times. I sit here and watch end of times books sell and sell and get blown off the, the charts. And I, 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 I just, I watch all of this. Uh, I've seen different authors have revised edition, revised edition, revised edition. One author that I read has three revised editions because he's missed it. He missed it in the year 99, saying 2000, Jesus has come back. He missed it with Prince Charles. He's from this area. Some of you know who I'm talking about. And uh, then we just go on and on and on. So um, what is happening well, maybe we need a deeper understanding. Probably that's what's happening. It takes a lot of studies, takes a lot of research, talks, takes a lot of history. But hopefully you guys have learned something, if nothing else, to go deeper in your study in the Word of God. So we talked about, as we jumped into the book of Revelation, I told you we're going to be looking at snapshots and we'll move relatively quickie, quickly <laughs> quickie, um, when we get to the book of Revelation. Okay, y'all's definition of quickie. <laughs> Men, I, that's what I love about men, right? Men just going to go there just real quick. Just, it's okay. You're a man, all right? As long as it's your wife you're thinking about, let's go. <laughs> Who let him in? <laughs> Somebody's got to be a gatekeeper. Let's keep going. All right. So we talked about the number seven, the importance of the number seven that you see throughout the book of Revelation. You see the number seven throughout the entire scriptures. And, and of course, we know that the Jews would understand the number seven, and we have to look at some of the Jewish numbers that, and, and how they study, in some way, their form of numerology. So we see seven, seven stars, seven lampstands, seven messengers, seven churches, seven trumpets, seven stars, 
Um, I think I said seven stars, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads. There's all kinds of, of events that take place that have the number seven associated with them. And, and we spoke about the importance of that and what the number seven means. But uh, the first snapshot that we get really of the sevens are the churches. And we spoke about the seven churches. Now, we've not brought all the seven churches into the, all the messages as of yet, but by the end of this series, we probably will. Snapshot two were the seven seals. This is where we are today. And in these seven seals, we covered these last week. Let me give you a little review. We talked about the four horsemen two weeks ago. The fifth seal was last week. We talked about the martyrs. If you don't remember what I spoke about the martyrs, the, uh, they're placed under the altar, which is at the very feet of Jesus. It's a place of, of honor. And uh, so anyone who's martyred for their faith, this is where they go. I mean, we see a beautiful picture here of how Jesus honors the martyrs for his name. And then we continue on today, and we're going to be in the uh, sixth seal. I'm sorry, last week we covered the sixth seal with these martyrs, um, and we took it a little bit further, and we talked about the war, the great war between 68 and 72 AD, this, this war of Jerusalem, if you will, and all the persecution that takes place. And we, we associated that with the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter 24, which I've taught and taught and taught on. Uh, the first three, four messages in this series are on the Olivet Discourse because it really lays a foundation. This is Jesus speaking, and just as he spoke then in Matthew 24, he's speaking here in the book of Revelation to John, pin these words down. So, Revelation chapter 6, 15 from last week, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks and the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, follow us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So what we see is God's judgment starting to pour in on Jerusalem, which Jesus said it will happen. He said, this generation shall not pass until you see these things. Now, this is everyone. This is kings. This is rich, the rich and the poor. These are the ones whom, I mean, there is no escape. I want you to see this. No escape from this judgment. And of course, we spoke about the Roman Jewish war many times over around 70 A.D., uh, it resembles this Olivet Discourse that Jesus speaks about. Now, let's keep going. Jesus gives an encouragement, though. In the seventh seal here, you're going to see an encouragement that's given, and this is important for all of us to see today. You know, when you're going through some type of persecution, it's good to have someone come in and encourage you, to offer you a promise, to show you that, look, you're going to be saved out of this. Now, I'm not talking about a rapture save. I'm talking about how Jesus sees this and what he pours out to the church here. He's going to save his people. He gives us a snapshot of what this is going to look like and what it looked like in their day and time. It's both Jews and Gentiles. A great multitude will be saved from this tragedy, out of this tragedy. Now, they may lose their lives, but they're going to gain the kingdom of heaven. And the interesting thing about persecution is all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you are Messianic, meaning a Christian Jew, or you're a Gentile. You're about to see that here in just a moment. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to give a clarion call to both. Uh, but you know, for us, it'd be the same. People ask me, really on a fairly common basis, they say, Curtis, uh, when do you think all the churches will come together? I say, when the first nuclear bomb hits. 
I mean, persecution, all of a sudden, I don't care if you're reformed. I care if you know Jesus. If you're Presbyterian, do you know Jesus? Because what's going to bind us is that commonality. And, and it's not just knowing him, it's having him as your Lord. Because that's who we'll be calling upon under persecution. Church of Christ, Reformed Armenian. Look, when persecution arrives to the extent as it did in Jerusalem in their day, the church comes together because our commonality is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the luxury right now to study, to divide, to, to go into depth, to look at historical evidences, to look at historical truths along with, with Jesus and his prophetic word. And we, we enjoy reading, we enjoy studying, we have the luxury of time. But there, there's a time when time runs out. It ran out for these, it will run out for us at some point in time. And I think Biden's speeding it up a little bit. <laughs> okay, you can disagree with me afterwards. You're wrong, but you can disagree. Let's keep going. You know, this week I uh, had the opportunity, my son, he, he came in from A&M and uh, that first day we were walking out to the edge of the canyon, we were just kind of visiting, I was asking him how things were going and then of course it it's usually turns to some kind of theological thing or thought and he said, Dad, I want to know your thoughts on limited atonement and I knew where he was going, some of you will know where he's going with this and so I was like, well good, he's in those conversations. So uh, it started on the edge of the canyon. It ended with us sitting at the table with me drawing diagrams and pictures and everything else. And then I think he was like, I've had enough, Dad. I, I should have never asked the question. Anyway, what does that have to do with anything? Well, because he, he's starting to gain and understand a love not just for Jesus, but a love for Christ's church. How does, how does the church work? What, what, what does the church mean to you, men? Because we're about to jump in here on the seventh seal that's going to speak to all of us as men of God and the importance of the church in Jesus' eyes. The church, I, I love the church. My earliest memories of the church, they go back to Vago Park, Texas. And what was interesting, Vago had two churches. They had two people, but they had two churches. I'm just kidding. Vigo maybe had 30 or 40 back in the day. And they had a First Baptist Church, they had a First Methodist Church. And so uh, you could just choose. You know, we, we went to the First Methodist Church in Vigo Park, Texas. I remember vacation Bible school there. Those are my earliest members or memories of the church. I remember um, hearing Noah's Ark for the first time, and I remember our teacher had one of those felt boards. Her name was Miss Frankie, and Miss Frankie would just uh, put this stuff up on the felt boards, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Miss Frankie taught me how to make a terrarium. Over the week, we, we built a terrarium with little cacti and different things in the terrarium, and she talked about God's creation and the beautiful, how beautiful God's creation. I, I never forgot that. A couple of years later, we would move on to Trinity Methodist Church. Joe, remember that one in Tulia? <laughs> Little tiny church uh, in Tulia, Texas. And uh, we had a pastor there that would, I, I remember we got a new pastor that would yell from the pulpit. Now, I was a little kid, and he scared the fire out of me. Now, I don't think he scared the hell out of me because I still had a lot, you know, running around. But I'm just saying, this, this pastor really brought it. He brought the heat. And later on, I would meet him in my life. 
and grow to love him and his messages. My aunt would sing hymns. She would sing specials, and I can remember her getting up there and saying a few words. I remember, uh, some of you know Janie Thompson that goes to this church. She was my Sunday school teacher, believe it or not, at Trinity Methodist. But eventually, that church would be absorbed by the larger First United Methodist Church in Tulia, and then I would be a part of the Methodist youth, and it became very important to me. I would go on to McMurray College uh, and uh, would attend Aldersgate there in Abilene. From there, I would uh, leave for the military, and of course, here at Vista United Methodist Church, the, I actually went to the uh, churches several different times on the post. I can't tell you what they were. Um, come back, go to Trinity Fellowship, and, uh, and then, of course, begin to work at Canyon UMC and uh, United Methodist Church as a youth pastor. And then eventually, uh, here we are today. And this, of course, is not a Methodist church. I'm of Wesleyan ascent. <laughs> I don't think dissent. Um, so, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I've grown up. That's just me. But the church has always been very important. The church has always been that staple that I knew was there. If my parents weren't there, if my girlfriend wasn't there, if I was alone in my life, the church has always been there, and I love it. That's the absolute truth. Jesus said, I lay my, myself down for her. It's very important. It's always been there for me. But I like to think that I've tried to be there for it as well. You know, I once heard or read a pastor who wrote this about the church. He said, you can be committed to church, but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to his church. Because it is, it is his bride. It's the only organization that exists for those who are not yet a member of it. Its values, its morals, its compass, its direction, its conversations, its teachings, its relationships, they all make us better. They all make us more like Christ in this world because we walk with Him as His bride. It feeds the hungry. It clothes the naked. It gives drink to the thirsty. It worships Jesus. It's getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love the church. It bothers me that most churches have far more women than men. Where God builds the church, the devil will always attempt to build a chapel. Something in opposition to the church. Something that will offer to men possibly a better relationship. Oh, you can go to the Kiwanis, you can go to the Lions, you can go to whatever rotary you want to choose out there, and you can probably the VFW, and you can probably drink beer, smoke a cigarette, and you feel like you're more loved there than you've ever felt in the church. It's absolutely not true because the one who created you is in the church. He's not out there, but you can find, and I'm not after Kiwanis or any of those other clubs. I'm simply saying they don't have the values, the morals, much less the Lord. The church is the bride of Christ, and every one of us men should want to be a part of it. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing up the land or the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel come up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. 
Now, I like talking about this through a dispensationalist lens because I like seeing that in the future, and people are saying, hey, we got to have the mark of God on our forehead. Yeah, you better have his word written in your mind. We're called to do that, but I want you to see something else here. If this is really written to the time of the persecution in Jerusalem, then what he's saying is what you are seeing is not just physical manifestation of war, but you're seeing God's judgment spiritually. And here's the spiritual things that are beginning to unfold. Now, we need to see this because I'm going to tell you something. There are times when we go through persecution, or let's just say we were in this type of persecution in Jerusalem, we're going to have to know that the heavenlies are doing something. There's got to be an encouragement that there's something greater than what we see taking place. If someone is burning you in the bull as they did Antipas, you're going to want to know spiritually that God is doing something much greater than what I perceive happening physically. And so here is an encouragement. The turmoil in the land and the sea represent, when you see this throughout historical, even scripture, when you see that turmoil begin, you, you notice that it, is, it represents the judgment of God. I mean, you can just, you can, you can take this back. Okay, well, where do we see God messing with the environment? Well, he led the Israelites across the Red Sea and he messed with the environment and judgment happened. There were great earthquakes where judgment happened. At one point in time, the land opened up and it consumed people, many, many people, Trying to think of the amount, I didn't write that down. What is it, 30,000 or something? And then Aaron has to run out with incense and say, whoa, God, stop, please. Plague started coming across the people. So what you see here is the judgment of God. And Jesus said it would come and this generation would see. Verse 4 sometimes throws us off a little, man. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So here we are in the seventh seal. He names the tribes, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to, to fly through this, I, I really don't want to just fly through it. I just want you to know I do need to move quickly, but I want us to see what's happening. 144,000 men is a symbolic number. We gain better understanding of this number later in Revelation. When John begins to describe the new Jerusalem, you'll see that he's pointing to the church as having 12 gates with 12 tribes, 12 foundations, um, names of 12 written on those, the apostles. And my point is simply this. This is a snapshot. It's a snapshot of the church. Now, you'll see it here in just a moment. Most scholars see these as the 12 tribes. As you know, the 12 tribes of Israel represent the old covenant. It's multiplied by those from the new covenant, the 12 from the new covenant, who had the great commission of doing what? Go and teach, but who were they? The, the disciples, the apostles. You have 12 apostles. So what we see here is that, and you may ask, why did John write it this way? Why did Jesus have John pen these words this way? Very important for us to know. He came first to the, come on, 
come on, men, you're learning something. He came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So here he understands that the Jews are the ones who are really, really first going to be busting this stuff open and reading it. What does the Lord say? What does the Spirit say to the churches? Because we've given everything up for this. We've left 4,000 years of a sacrificial system for a messianic kingdom. So here he's simply saying, okay, this is very important, and and I'm going to write it where they get it. So there's 12 tribes, 12 apostles, multiplied by the number of 1,000. What does that mean? It's the number for the Hebrews of finality of perfection. So he's saying, okay, here are the perfect ones. Now, you know that not a Jew one is perfect. Not a Jew. Not you. All right? We can make this Jew and Gentile just by messing with some of our uh, the way we say things here in West Texas. So here we go. Futurists believe that these 144,000 are still yet to come. Basically, Jewish evangelists who are found in the tribulation and after the rapture. So after the church is gone, boom, these 144,000 messianic Jews sealed on their forehead are going out and just spreading the word of God like crazy. You've probably read that. It's in every uh, dispensationalist book out there just about. However, this group is known as the first fruits unto God and the Lamb in Revelation chapter 14, 4. If they are the first fruits, why are they still yet to come? It would seem that the first fruits would be the very first fruits, the very first converts from among the Jewish people in the first century, and that they would not represent the last fruits, which is 2,000 plus years more into the future. In Revelation 14, they are also described as without fault, before the throne of God. So this 144,000, I believe, truly is the church, but it's the Jewish church. What does that mean, Curtis? You'll see it here in just a minute. They are the ones that have left their their sacrificial system, the first ones. And like I said, we've got this number of 144,000, so some want to say, well, that's just this literal number. Well, they understood what this 12 times 12 times 1,000 would mean. Uh, the, be careful when you, uh, when you choose to count, when senses are taken. So what he's given here is an unlimited. And the reason I say that is because look throughout Scripture, when, when David decides to take a census, what happens? That wasn't a good idea. You could even take it into the New Testament um, when you have Joseph. And Joseph has to go and, and file for what? a census to be taken. Now, I know all of that's prophetic in their day and time because he was walking out what was happening, speaking of Joseph, right, and the birth of our Lord. He had to come out of Egypt. I, I get all that. But this 144,000 is, is the church. It's, it's a representation of the church through the lens of the blood of Christ. It is what we read about in Ephesians 5. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the word through the, the water through the word, and to present to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, it should be holy and blameless. We, we've read that, and we read that in our marriage conferences and everything else, but what is he, he goes on to say, but I'm speaking, it is a mystery of Christ and his church the bride of Christ. Like I said earlier, you can be committed to the church but not committed to Christ. 
But you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to his church. It's the bride of Jesus. It's who we are. Jesus came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile in Romans 1. Notice the Jew would understand the 12 multiplied as well as the number 1,000. The Gentiles understood it this way. So he writes first to the Jew. Now watch in this same chapter, the very next verse, he's about to hit the Gentile. Watch what he tells the Gentile because he can be a lot more simple with the Gentiles. They don't know Jack. They know Jesus, okay? They don't need to know Jack. But he says in verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And he said... These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed the robes. Now notice, he says, these are they that came out of the great tribulation. So these are those that they, they, they held fast. They did not deny the word of the Lord. They, they probably even had some Judaizers in there. If you don't remember who the Judaizers were, they followed Paul around and eventually got Paul beaten and all kinds of things happened to Paul. Supposedly, some of them became Christian, but they couldn't leave their Jewish ways. And so you have this battle that's taken place, uh, and they will not deny their faith. And just prior to this, he talks about the faith of Antipas, the martyrs, those who have gone before. So he's saying, look, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. So here we see first the Jews. And now he's written to the Gentiles. And what, what you see here is the church. The Apostle Paul said it this way, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Look, we are the body, we are the bride of Christ. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. That's a blessing for someone like me. Because the sun really beats down on me, if you didn't know that. I read that and thought, well, he put that one in there just for me. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because through this time of tribulation, there will be many, many tears shed. But blessed is the one who holds true to the end. Amen, guys. I love the church. I love that view, that snapshot of the church that he gives us there. And uh, just wanted to encourage you with those words this morning. Those of you who are online with us, I'm glad you were here this morning.